Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Bulls Beat, today I am joined with a very special guest, Mark from Bulls HQ. Thank you for stopping by. It was a lot of fun doing the draft show with you on the NBA Draft Day, and I can't wait to uh, talk some more Bulls with you today. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for having me, mate. It is... um... It's it's an honor to be on the Bulls beat. It's 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 a little strange to be honest with you, just me and you having a conversation. I think the last time we just did a conversation just between ourselves without our friend Frederick was maybe like on one of the early early Bulls HQ episodes. But um, yeah, good to speak to you, no less. Yeah, I think looking at our Skype history, I think it was about two years ago. Yeah, I just uh, I've been like super super lazy about the Bulls beat for a couple of years now. I'm trying to do it seriously again. So appreciate you uh, stopping by and. Uh, speaking of the draft, I, I guess I want to start out with Patrick Williams. Uh, I think when draft day hit and we both heard this pick, we kind of groaned a little bit. And, you know, we've had some time sink in. We've we found out since then pretty conclusively that both the Cavaliers and Detroit Pistons were trying to trade up to get Patrick Williams. So so this feels like less of a reach now and maybe more of a little bit of a guy who's established at that four position. Uh, have your thoughts on Patrick Williams changed much? Uh, yeah, look, the, the more I think about it, the more I like it. Um, because the more it feels like a anti-Garpax pick, so to speak. And yeah, I suppose on draft night itself, I was kind of uh, not underwhelmed, but I was just like, okay, fine, it, it, that's the pick. And to be fair, whether it was Patrick Williams or Denny of Deer or Killian Hayes or whoever the pick was going to be, it was, that was probably going to be my reaction anyway, because I just kind of felt like whoever they took at number four, the most likely outcome for that player is hopefully to be a, like a high-end role player. And obviously, I'm expecting, I know what I'm not expecting, but hoping for more. But uh, if I'm trying to be realist about it, maybe not taking off those uh, rose-colored glasses for a moment, that's kind of where I was already sort of, I had already mentally prepared myself that whoever they take at number four, or even if they had like a top top two or three pick in this draft, I wasn't really excited about anyone in this draft, to be honest with you. So uh, in that way, I was, it was always going to be a bit of a, bit of a uh, buzzkill to me. But the more I think about it, the more I'm happy with the Patrick Williams pick, I think this is a really even flat draft to the point where taking a punt on someone who maybe has a higher upside play than someone else in this draft, then I, I kind of I'm I'm really all about that move now. The more I think about it, and again, maybe this is me just talking myself into it, maybe trying to believe in something a little bit more than what's actually there with Patrick Williams. Obviously, time will tell, but as time has gone on, uh, I've I've liked it more and more. Yeah, I I kind of agree with you, and I think. That doesn't always happen. So I look at a couple of picks that I didn't like, and I'll name one that was really bad and one that ended up really good, just so I don't sound like I'm a draft savant, because I'm definitely not. You know, Doug McDermott, I hated on draft day. Uh, I hated up until he played. I hated it after he played. I just hated it. Yeah. And when I look at someone like Taj Gibson, I hated that on draft day. Uh, but then, and, and I didn't hate it. I hated it up until he started playing. And then once he hit the court, I'm like, nope, I'm wrong. This guy's pretty good. Yeah. And so, you know, some of these picks, you know, like they, they don't end up being what you like. It's, and sometimes you talk yourself into a guy as you learn more about them. I think the one thing that maybe has changed my opinion a little bit is I, I kind of came in with Patrick Williams being an upside pick in my head with a guy who's got this athleticism and I'm watching him like, I really don't think he's that much of an upside pick. But now I've kind of made a mental shift to think he's really actually kind of a high floor guy. He's going to be able to defend. He seems like he's going to be able to shoot the three. And three and D guys are just like, that's, that's a high floor. Like that, that guy is always going to be useful. 
And so now I kind of view him as a high floor guy. And if he develops something else on offense, all the better. So that's, that's kind of the transition I've made. I don't know if, if any of that resonates with you. Yeah, look, that's exactly how I feel. Like that was in terms of like the most realistic outcome for him. And, and maybe this is me even being a little bit too optimistic. But for example, if he was to be, you know, at, at his peak value, let's say, or his peak seasons averaging, you know, between 13 to 15 points, grabbing seven, seven rebounds, a couple assists, playing really good defense, being able to play maybe multiple positions in the front court, like switching between three, four, and five, maybe something like that. To your point, like that is a floor raiser. That's a really good player. It's probably not like a, an all-star type. Maybe it's a borderline all-star player in, in certain seasons, but it's most certainly a type of player that just helps you win. Maybe it's not the sexy pick. Maybe yeah, look, maybe it's not just that all-star type of player. But yeah, I, I feel very similarly. And I, I compared him to Wendell Carter in that sense as well. Not not that their game is anyway similar at all, but it's just that type of player to me that he may not be a star. He may not put up huge box score numbers, but he'll do the things that maybe uh, you don't see in the box score, but help you win basketball games, uh, particularly on the defensive end. So that's where I where I saw it, how I feel about it. And to me, I think he's almost going to be, or is shifting, his body type is really that, I think how the power forward position is going to be, going to be molded in the NBA going forward. So in a lot of ways, he is about the modern NBA, which is something I really like as well. I think that, that makes, or just adds an extra element to the pick itself. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. And I'll, I'll throw Otto Porter Jr. is maybe a guy kind of similar to that mold. Maybe a guy who showed a little bit more offense coming in probably definitely showed a little more offense, but maybe I feel like when he was healthy, that's a guy you might compare Patrick Williams to. He was definitely not a star. I think he chipped in 14 points a game in his best season, known as a good defender, probably a little bit big for a three, but was a pure three. I think, I mean, I think Williams maybe a little bit more of a four than a three. Uh, it might play down to three sometimes, but that, that's sort of the type of impact I think we might see from him. So with Williams out of the way now, uh, what do you think, you know, the Bulls whole offseason? So just to, to recap real quickly, we offered the qualifying offer to Denzel Valentine, which he accepted. We got Adam Makoka back on a two-way contract. We got Devon Dotson on a two-way contract. We signed Garrett Temple. We brought Noah Vonley in uh, as a camp invite. And God, I forget the other guy's name. So the, Zach Novell, I think. Zach Novell, yeah, yeah. On a camp invite. And... We let Dunn and Shaq Harrison go. We did not offer them qualifying offers. What's uh, your overall pulse on what the Bulls have done this year? Uh, look, I'm fine with it. I was again, maybe this was just me mentally preparing and you know maybe hoping or not hoping for too much because I kind of knew that there wasn't really going to be too much ha- happening for the Bulls. Um, so in that sense, again, maybe because I had mentally prepared for this being a really quiet offseason, I was completely fine with it. Uh, I've been surprised to see certain people online at least i know though they don't represent the whole fan base but um, i'm surprised to see some of the negativity behind it all um, <laughs> maybe because there's a new front office coming in some people were just expecting you know grand sweeping changes or, or more moves to be made but to be honest with you i'm perfectly comfortable with how this thing has played out i think it's reasonable the way they've attacked it i think they've tried to keep things as open as possible for a number of different routes whether it's thinking about the guys on the roster the, the core guys or even thinking about the team's uh, cap position moving forward like to me the way they're thinking about it or the way I'm reading how they're thinking about it is they're just keeping their options completely open right now and then as we sort of progress into the season then maybe that picture starts to change so uh, I like the way they've gone about it I'm, I'm glad they haven't necessarily defined a clear path at this point because um, 
yeah, I just I just don't think we can be confident in any which way of of what the Bulls necessarily have. And I, I think given that the, there's so much murkiness ha- hanging around the team based on the last couple of years, and you know, whilst we have an estimation of what these players are, maybe it looks completely different in a different scheme, in a different offense, and di- under different coaching, uh, and, and and so on. So. I, I'm kind of happy with how it's gone. I, I'm interested. To, I, was, I was interested to see they kept Valentine over Dunn and, and Harrison. That that was different, and again, very anti Garpacks. But um, I, I'm more than happy with how it's played out. It's interesting because you mentioned negativity, and the first thing I thought is you're talking about me. Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't know that I've I've been somewhat negative. I think it comes off like a more negative than I feel. Uh, you know, my my overall thought is not that I expected anything big. And it's hard to judge because, you know, you and I, we don't know what offers are on the table. You know, if you tried to trade Lowry and the only thing out there was like a second rounder, of course, we would both say no to that. Uh, if you tried to trade him and there was like a mid first, then I would probably say yes. Maybe you'd say no or yes. I don't know. But we don't we have no idea. We have no idea what the offers for any of these guys are out there. So just saying, yeah, I would have done this or that. You just really can't tell because things you might try to do you know, really weren't available. My, my overall gripe a little bit is I don't see how we've moved any closer to the vision that uh, Karnasovas has, regardless of what that vision is. I mean, I don't know that we can tell for sure what that vision is, but we're basically coming back with the same roster. Um, some things I think maybe I would have liked to have seen is if you move Sato or Thad for expiring deals, again, you don't know for sure that was out there, but I think it probably was possible to maybe move one of those guys from expiring and you free up an extra five, 10 million next year in cap room uh, because you don't have their, their guaranteed portion of the contract on the books next year. You know, something like that would have been maybe appealing to me. Maybe if you traded Zach and Lowry uh, into uh, Milwaukee for like that treasure trove of stuff that Drew Holiday got, and and maybe they wouldn't do that because they prefer Drew Holiday to those two guys. But that would have been something exciting to me. Maybe if you trade those guys and just were bad in a year where like no one can go to games anyway, and, and you've got this amazing draft class next, but you set a direction of like, I know these guys aren't good enough. That would have been okay. Or maybe even go back to your Chris Paul idea, if you said, no, these guys these guys are good enough, and I'm going to supplement the roster, and I'm going to bring in some real help. You know, like, I, I kind of feel like we're just sort of just steered the ship straight. Like, no matter what we're trying to do, I just don't know how we progress there. And that's that's sort of my complaint about, about this. I would have liked to have seen something that progressed us towards whatever the goal is. And I, I'm not 100% sure what the goal is, but I'm pretty sure we've not gotten any closer uh, today that goal and like how do you feel i guess maybe with that theory or that take look i i get it i completely understand it um and what i was talking about wasn't directed at you by the way because um, <laughs> i haven't necessarily seen your thoughts on twitter let, let's say um it's probably been uh, more of a subtweet let's say at some other people that i've, I've, I've been seeing but I get it. I know. Look, to be fair, I will feel exactly the same way as you do if we get to, let's say, the trade deadline at the latest, and things are still are the way they are right now. Like at that point, if for whatever reason, whenever the trade deadline is meant to be in this adjusted season, uh, if if the team is unchanged in any way, whatever that way is, then I will probably be feeling a little bit confused and a little bit just uh, yeah, confused, not not understanding where the direction of this team is headed. But because I guess this is a new management career, new management team, new coaching. The fact that I'm not necessarily concerned as I was, you know, under a Garpax regime where they, they were obviously very wedded to their guys, didn't necessarily make trades in season necessarily to improve the team. I don't get that. I don't have that same feeling, at least at this point, with with Karnaschovas and Eversley. So 
I don't know, again, maybe I've talked myself into just, just thinking that there's still a chance that this thing evolves during the season once they've got a, a chance to have a look at things. And Karnaschovas has said from the outset that he's going to be very deliberate and meth- um yeah, just very deliberate in his approach. Maybe that's a little bit too slow at, at times. We obviously saw that with the boiling firing, that maybe he could move a little bit faster. But um, I'm, at this point, I'm just going to put um, some trust in the process, let's say, um, for now. But, yeah, I, I totally understand your gripe as such. Like, if for me, like, as you sort of referenced there, Chris Paul was the main move that I wanted to see because I, I just feel this team is lacking a playmaker of someone who can actually run an offense. Um, I would have liked them to see to, to be more aggressive and done what Phoenix had done. Uh, I think what Phoenix have done in this offseason has been really has been really interesting. I think it's going to take them up to the next level. It should be a, a move that realistically puts them in the playoffs, and I think that would have been the balls in this situation had they gone for that. But beyond that, if they weren't able to execute such a move, there wasn't really a point guard out there that I would have liked to have seen. Look, I was most certainly online every day through free agency proposing all different trades. I mean, I was... I was I was shipping out Thad Young to Denver the minute that they lost Jeremy Grant. But at the same time, does a deal like that actually exist? I, probably not because, I mean, obviously, clearly uh, clearly Denver brought back Paul Millsap, their own free agent. They they went and got Jermichael Green from, via free agency, meaning they didn't necessarily have to trade anything to the Bulls to get through their backup power forward. They could just get a guy from free agency for nothing, essentially. Um, and clearly, they value their own place enough that they didn't necessarily want to trade for a power forward. So... Yeah, most definitely. I would have liked to have seen some additional moves. Like um, George Hill, for example, is sitting on the OKC Thunder now, probably doing nothing, probably is going to be there until they move him for some sort of draft capital at some point. But, um, you know, I would have liked to see the Bulls go after him too, but maybe OKC doesn't want that deal in place. And I think that's just the fact that we just don't know a lot about how this Bulls front office is operating. The fact that there's been no real leaks or connections as to the Bulls are maybe thinking about doing this or trading that guy or whatever it may, may be. Like that ambiguity is maybe just add, adding to that anxiety of they're, they're not doing anything. But the reality is they're probably doing a lot in the background, but we just don't know it because Karnaschovas is, you know, super quiet. I mean, we don't really know how he's moving, what he's thinking, what he's, what he's actually going to be doing. So maybe that's just playing into it as well. Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. And I really agree and appreciate the point that you have now up until the trade deadline to kind of see if you want to shake the roster any. So, I mean, there's like different inflection points to a season, to a year, to, to a franchise where you can really change things and make things happen. So the offseason is one of those. The trade deadline is the other. You know, and in this offseason, I don't think we really did anything. I think that's a fair statement to, to really shake up the roster. We went into it and said, let's see what we have with Billy Donovan as coach and see how these guys come together. Part of my concern about that a little bit is with the pandemic, we're not going to have a long training camp. We're not going to have a whole lot of time to institute or learn a new system or these other things. And so I'm not sure how much impact Donovan will have a chance to make. Even if he could make good impact, we might not see that fast enough to to really glean anything before we have to make a decision. But the the second point is the trade deadline. And, and you know, teams are looking to restructure at these two points based on their needs going at the start of the season, you know, to try and, you know, have a better chance to win or to, to tank and acquire future assets or to do whatever. But like at the beginning, they, they do things. And then at the trade deadline, the teams that need an extra push are going to try to do something. And the teams who are, are looking to, to get better in the draft are going to do something else. And so we'll see which of those two teams we're going to be when we get to the trade deadline. Uh, which of those two teams do you think will be? Yeah, look, I, I imagine they will be a seller. Um, that just 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 based on the fact that they didn't necessarily do too much at this point. Um, I'm not 
the fact that we're just essentially running the same team back, even with Billy Donovan, which I expect will be an improvement. I don't think it's going to be enough of an improvement for you know the Bulls to take the next step into the playoffs. Like let's say I've got them as the, the tier below where they're sort of battling for the ninth seed. But uh, ultimately, we'll, we'll just see how it plays out. But I would expect them at that point to maybe look at selling someone like Sato or or Thad Young at the deadline. I mean, we, we, we see it every single season, and, and you just sort of referenced it there, that contenders, once they've sort of sh- uh, shorn up their own roster, where they fit in their conference versus where, uh, where their competition sits, then someone like Sadoransky or, or, or Thad Young maybe comes, becomes more appealing at that point. I mean, as an example, like at West, let's say, like if the Lakers are just running away with it and then the Clippers are sort of staring down the barrel where they've got both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard sort of with an option to become free agents next season, they probably need additional guard play. So do the Clippers make a run for Sadoransky at that point? They don't really have much to offer in the way of draft capital, but I don't know, maybe there's a deal that can be organized at that point that doesn't necessarily exist right now. Um, Taking it one step further, I mean, we don't really know what Giannis is doing. I mean, if Giannis were to sign his Supermac extension right now or in a week's time, whatever it might be, um, then how does that just change the complexion of free agency moving forward and, and how does that how do additional teams react to that i mean the example that i keep coming back to is one link that we've seen about zach levine is that the dallas mavericks have been interest in interested in levine but what the mavericks are kind of doing at the moment as well is they're sort of building their cap position or yeah, their roster and their cap position towards 2021 free agency they've clearly got their eyes on Giannis. Now, obviously, if Giannis re-ups with the Bucks, he goes back there, then that should, that would change the Mavericks' plan. And someone like trading off Zach Levine at the deadline to the Dallas Mavericks, if Giannis were to sign an extension now, let's say, his value at that point becomes dramatically more increased than what it is now, at least to the Dallas Mavericks. Maybe, maybe there are other deals out there that exist, but to a team like the Mavericks or maybe a team like Philadelphia who has seen the Bucks sort of go past them, have seen the Heat continue to play out uh, really strong basketball in the East. Maybe they, you know, with Daryl Morey on board, maybe they want to go after someone like Lowry or when they want to go after a Levine type or whatever it might be. So I think I think it's probably more likely at the deadline the Bulls are selling off pieces, whether that's their core pieces, whether it's their veterans. We'll wait and see. Even someone like Otto Porter, he's a huge expiring. I think he'll have value to a contender. Uh, it'll be interesting to play out, but my guess would be that they're selling off pieces rather than, let's say, buying. I think that's probably an accurate take. You know, the only thing time I think you would buy a piece from Chicago's position, unless we see, we'll just say considerably better play than probably both you and I expect out of the team, then I think we'll probably also be sellers. And probably the pieces you would consider selling would be Sato, Thad, Porter, Lowry, and Zach, right? I mean, I think the the guys who are going to all be free agents, you know, if you can get something for them as a rental, uh, you would do it, or the guys like Sato and Thad, who are not quite free agents, but partially non-guaranteed next year, a team could could get out of their deal pretty cheaply. One deal I think that might make sense at the deadline, or even now, would just be trading Thad to Memphis for Gorgie Dieng. Uh, you know, you could make up the difference in Thad's buyout with cash, because uh, Dieng makes a little bit more, and it now becomes salary neutral to both teams, and it helps the Bulls with cap space next year, even if there's no draft capital changing hands. Maybe you can find even something a little better than that you know, at the deadline, depending where the Bulls are at and where the Grizzlies are at or where any other team is at. So I think you're right. There will be stuff that uh, materializes as as situations change for teams, especially if Giannis signs the Supermax. I think that's highly unlikely, though. 
I think he's going to leave everyone hanging, and then you're going to see a team like Dallas, kind of to your point, uh, probably keep their cap room open to try and persuade him to come there instead. So I guess you you know you watch the offseason super closely. Uh, are there any moves you saw another team made or just overall said, man, I, I kind of wish uh, we got in on that trade. I could see where we could have trumped you know, one side of this offer and taken the other side, and, and it would have been a better deal for us and, and wish we did that? Uh, look, not 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 really, to be honest with you. I guess the main one for me, because I'm biased and because I, I thought it was the move, is the, is the Chris Paul trade. I think that was the type of deal where the Bulls could have got in on and to, to the, the price that Phoenix paid, I think, wasn't overly expensive, let's say. I thought it was, it was fine and it was reasonable. And, you know, with Otto's expiring, with uh, Thad's, essentially his expiring deal, or whether it was Sadoransky or even Felicio, I mean, they're, they're big numbers coming off books. That would have saved OKC a ton of money. Like I, I think that would have been a move that um, I could understand and would have liked to have seen. But again, I, I get the counterpoint. But beyond that, there wasn't really any moves that I saw that you know I was jealous or envious of, to be honest with you. And again, maybe that was because I had talked myself into the into this position where the Bulls just weren't going to do anything in free agency. They really only had their mid-level exception to use. Yes, you can always manufacture things and you know create a sign and trade type situation like like the Heat did when they brought in Jimmy Butler. But uh, realistically, there wasn't a move out there that made me jealous, I suppose. Uh, I know a lot of Bulls fans were a little envious to see what the Atlanta Hawks were doing and bringing through all these players with their $40 million in space. But again, uh, I'm not I'm not envious of paying Danilo Gallinari $20 million. Um, I think the, the Bulls' time at having a, a similar type run at free agency is obviously... Uh, next season or next off season, so let's see, let's see what they do did then. But yeah, I don't I don't really have any uh, envious eyes at the moment. But uh, I don't I'm not sure if you feel differently. But at the moment, I'm kind of okay with it beyond beyond the Chris Paul stuff, I suppose. Yeah, the the only move, and I mentioned it earlier, that I would have wished we could have got in on, and no idea if we could have, is if we could have traded Zach and Lowry or some combination of things to Milwaukee for all those draft picks. Yeah, if okay. uh, if we could have done that somehow. I just said, yep, let's trade Zach and Lowry. Let's go full rebuild. <laughs> you know, it's a great draft. Uh, we'll be god awful after this trade, and and see where it goes. Uh, you know, and if I would probably have taken Zach and Lowry over Drew Holiday, if I were the Bucks, but I can see where maybe that just wasn't the way they wanted to go. You know, from my end, those are guys that would actually potentially grow next to Giannis for years if he stays. Whereas Drew Holiday is, you know, he's an older player. He's he's going to give you an impact for maybe two years, but it's not not something that's going to be sustainable for you. And uh, you know, if you don't win this year, after this year, it's like where is the improvement going to come from on that roster? You know, really nowhere. Um, so I would have been, but again, who knows? The Bucks may have said <laughs> just laughed in your face if you if you tried that. So um, no idea if that was on the table. But that's that's the only move I was really jealous of. Like I look at that trade and I think. Oh man, the Bucks just destroyed themselves with this. Like I think they, I think it's going to go down as one of the worst trades in league history. But we'll see how, uh, we'll see how that goes. Other than that, I agree with you though. I looked through, I looked up and down all the trades and, and looking at this podcast because I knew I was going to ask this question. And I thought, you know, like there's really nothing out there that was really that exciting. It was mostly guys swapping role players. Um, nothing that you felt like, wow, we really needed to be in on this. I think maybe the other signing I thought was good was the Bogdanovich signing by Atlanta. I didn't really care for the Gallinari signing for the same reasons that you mentioned, but I thought the Bogdanovich signing for them was was much better, uh, restrictive agent. No way we could have got in on that with our uh, salary situation, but I, I think that was was maybe the the one deal I thought, yeah, this team really made a good move here, 
Yeah, didn't overpay, got a good player, and uh, should, should be pretty happy about it going forward. Uh, so we're coming down into to preseason now, and the Bulls got four preseason games. And for once, the fans aren't getting killed with it. I know a lot of times Bulls fans who are at least season ticket holders, they hate preseason games because you have to pay, pay full price for them, and it's kind of like a tax on season ticket holders and removes a lot of that benefit. That's a, a whole different argument. But now uh, there's no season ticket holders to be hurt, and we get to watch four preseason games. So I'm excited about that, two against the Thunder, two against the Rockets. Uh, going into preseason, what are you going to be looking to see from these players? What excites you most about seeing – uh, Bulls basketball come back, and what do you hope to have uh, seen change? Yeah, it'll it, it, look. It's it's coming around really quick. Obviously, um, I'd st- I'm still surprised at how fast it's it's going to be around. It's essentially well, it's less than two weeks at this point, so it'll be here very very soon. Um, I think the it, the first inflection point will be you know what Donovan does from a from a starting point of view, who who his starters will be. I think people are just assuming that it's Kobe White and Zach Levine, and my guess would be that is the case, but. Um, I kind of want to see it be Sadoransky just so I can see the takes fly around and see how annoyed <laughs> people get. But, um, Some people just want to watch the world burn, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I might be one of those people. But um, yeah, like, that will be interesting, obviously, to see what his starters will be. I'm assuming it'll be Otto and Larry and Wendell up front, uh, assuming they're healthy, of course. So maybe that's the first thing, maybe just getting through training camp uh, injury-free, which is not always the case in uh, Chicago. But Assuming there are relatively few injuries, I think what they do in the backcourt from a starting point of view will be interesting. If they do start Zach and Kobe, how does how does Donovan manage that? Um, he he really managed their three guard rotation in OKC well last season with Paul uh, Schroeder and um, Shea Gilgis Alexander. So how he manages that in Chicago Chicago will be interesting. I think if you're starting both Zach and and um, Kobe together, then you really need to start thinking about splitting their minutes to some degree just to make sure that you've, you've got one of them on the court at all times. So uh, how he manages that will be interesting. Um, but yeah, I think that's what I'll be kind of just initially want, wanting to see how he manages his rotations, how he sort of feels about certain players, what schemes he's running on defense. I'm, I'm assuming the defense will take a, a, a dramatic shift. Uh, obviously last season, Boylan was running a super aggressive defensive scheme that really isn't sustainable over a multiple series uh, season period. So how does how does Billy Donovan adjust the defense? That's probably another big thing that I'll be looking for, and, and be interesting to see how it, how it, how he reacts to that and how the players react to that. And and to your point before, in terms of there not being a ton of time to really install maybe schemes and systems, maybe at this point, particularly for a young team, you just sort of scale it back and maybe just go back to some conservative basic stuff. So. Uh, how that influences the team on both ends, that, that'll be interesting to me as well. So it's probably the rotations and the schemes that Donovan will be running initially. Hopefully we get to see that in action through the first few preseason games because, uh, yeah, I think at this point, particularly in this rebuild, particularly for this Bulls team who I don't have a lot of trust in from um, uh, an intelligence and IQ perspective, then maybe just sort of running it back and just putting in place a scheme that's very easy to run, maybe a more conservative drop-type coverage, on defense, maybe something like that makes more sense. And whilst, um, you know, maybe it's not as creative as some other schemes out there, maybe it, maybe you can net the Bulls a couple extra wins because they're not running around the court, missing rotations, not communicating on defense. And, and maybe that sort of helps change the uh, the scope of this season. Yeah, I, th- I think your first point is one I really resonate with because I also feel like it's going to come down a lot to what does 
who starts? Like, I, I think I agree with you. I don't think this is a, an open and shut question. Like, I, I mean, I look at Zach and I look at Kobe, and I don't know that these guys are guys that really play well together. And you can yeah. argue that you have to start Kobe for that reason because you just need to find out. Like, this is the time to experiment and find out if you need one of these guys. You know, I, I kind of have this view that I'm not sure that, you know, Kobe White is really that good enough to worry about. <laughs> like, he showed some flashes, but I still kind of feel like you've not shown me you're more than Gennaro Pargo yet. And I know that's a super unpopular view yeah. with the, the fan base because everyone wants to love the guy and say he's young and he's got unlimited potential and he, you know, don't discount him. I, I'm not discounting him, but it's, you know, but there's no reason to count on him either. You know, like it could just go either way. It's like we thought Wendell Carter Jr. was going to be, you know, a much better player than he looks right now after two years. And maybe he still will be. But, you know, you guys don't always just go straight up. Like a lot of guys in this area, when you draft them, they end up not being that good. You know, Lowry was a guy we pegged as a superstar. And I think he looked better his first year than, than Kobe White did in his first year. And, you know, Lowry is now a guy we're like, yeah, he looks like a, maybe a average player, slightly above average player, like starting caliber player. And I shouldn't say average player in, in terms of the actual mean of the league, but, you know, like a slightly above average starting caliber player, but probably below all-star like that seems like maybe who he is at this point after three years so you just never know what's gonna happen with these guys and i while i'm i'm hopeful kobe white ends up being a very good player it wouldn't surprise me if he's jamal crawford or lou williams or or something like that and that you know bench score is kind of his role so i i think seeing those rotations and how they work out will be very interesting i i would love to see changes in the offense and see if we can do something more exciting but i just i just don't know how much time Donovan has to really install something new and teach it to these guys and, and really have it be wholesale different. At the same time, really almost the whole staff from last year outside of Fleming is gone. So uh, you're almost going to be installing something new by default uh, going into the season. What, what battles on the team, I guess, maybe excite you the most or interest you the most, or do you think there even are any interesting battles on, on this team uh, this year for minutes in the rotation? Yeah, I think that there's, there's most certainly going to be some, I think, uh, like you, I don't. I'm not as strong on Kobe White as some out there are who feel very strongly about Kobe White. I mean, he had a, a really good close to the season. Had a really good 10 to 15 game run towards the the end of last season, whenever that was. Now, maybe February, I guess, February March. But at that point, the, the Bulls were out of any contention. Teams weren't necessarily taking the team very seriously. He was giving up any shot he wanted. So. Uh, you know, how much of that is a hot streak versus how much is that sustainable basketball going forward? I, I don't really know. That that That's interesting to me. But um, there's definitely going to be a battle between, say, Kobe and Sato for that starting position that we sort of talked about. Uh, I don't think it's settled as much as some as much as much some maybe believe it is or should be. Um, but based on, I, I didn't even mention before, like the, the, the offensive hierarchy, that's going to be an interesting dynamic throughout, throughout this season as well. And where does... Someone like Lowry fit in that, particularly with Otto Porter maybe playing more. Otto's coming into a contract situation. I'm assuming he's going to be gunning for shots. Um, and when he came back and played his 15 games or whatever it was this season, Otto was looking for his offense. So when you combine you know, Kobe White, Zach Levine, Otto Porter, where does, what does that mean for for Lowry Markkinen? And, and going back to your question about you know potential internal battles, I feel like someone like Patrick Williams is more of a four than he is a three. So I expect the Bulls to explore maybe playing him at small forward, but ultimately I see him more as a power forward. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he has more 
uh, versatility and can play more on the wing. But if he doesn't, then you have to make a decision between who's going to get the minutes. Is it Larry or Patrick Williams? Um, and sim- simultaneously, I mean, there's a flow-on effect of that, that maybe it's not a, a battle between Williams and Lowry, but maybe it's a battle between Lowry and Wendell Carter, because if, you know, Carter Chauvis having a fresh eyes on this, maybe he views or wants Lowry to develop as the center. Maybe that becomes a sort of internal battle between Lowry and Wendell Carter for who the starting center should be, particularly if you start thinking about starting like Patrick Williams at power forward. And whilst I don't think Lowry can play center, um, because I just don't think he's good enough on the boards. I don't think he's good enough at protecting the rim or just, or, you know, controlling a defense. Uh, his archetype of a player, someone who's not necessarily a great defensive player, but maybe can be a plus offensive player. Patrick Williams is the type of power forward you would want to put next to that player. Someone who's probably better at protecting the paint and guarding inside than maybe on the perimeter. Um, so that would be interesting as well. Like I'm not necessarily sold that this uh, the Williams picks uh, spells the end of Larry Markkinen, but maybe it means something a little bit like that for Wendell Carter. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I think there is going to be some internal battles. It'll play out in the rotations and obviously how how each player performs in this new system. But um, yeah, I expect it to. Uh, it, it'll be interesting nonetheless. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think Wendell Carter is probably the most interesting player to me to see what happens with him this year I kind of think of his journey and I think he started out he got injured right away then he got injured and didn't have an offseason so he didn't really have that offseason to improve then he came back his second year had to play his way into shape and then was starting to kind of find his groove still showed some stuff but then got injured again and now this is the first time since college he's had really a lot of time to develop and so I'm, I'm intrigued to see if we see something different out of him and we see some of those things we saw in college where he was more of a threat on offense, where he's a little bit more of a shooter if he comes back and shows some things. And maybe on the, the opposite side of that, if he doesn't do those things, then I think there's a real battle between him and Daniel Gafford for center minutes. And I think that becomes a real challenge. So uh, it'll be interesting to see that that to me. I think that's maybe one of the things I'm excited about. And then I guess for me, the next most exciting thing is just, is Patrick Williams a three or a four? Uh, yeah. Because I, I think that absolutely changes a huge amount of what you can expect from him on this season. If he ends up being a three, then that pick feels a whole lot more high upside to me than if he ends up being a four, you know, or if he can play both positions reasonably well. If he has to play 80% of his time at four, I'm a little bit less excited than if he could play, you know, 50-50 between the three and the four and have true versatility. So that's that's the other thing I'm interested to see. And we talked a little bit about Kobe White versus Sadaransky in the starting lineup. You know, really, I just want to see if Kobe White can can kind of continue the hot trend he had at the end of last year. Yeah, because he, he really started off, you know, kind of very, very poorly for the most part. He had a couple, you know, like highlight reel games where he did something really special. And then he just kind of was was very poor for long stretches of time. But at the end of the season, he had maybe was like eight, 10 games in a row that were all at least average with then some being way above average, some really great ones. But the, the bad games now were like, okay, they weren't like awful. And if he can kind of keep up that trend to see if he becomes a real player. So those, those are kind of my, my points of uh, emphasis to see going into, uh, going into this, uh, this year. And I guess maybe for the season, we talked a little bit about it on the draft show. I don't know if anyone actually listening to this podcast watched the draft show. Hopefully you did. But 
we we kind of made season predictions. Uh, we're just going to go again. Pro-rated 82 games, so we're not trying to figure out what what percentage uh, of a 72-game season we have. What do you think now? The whole Bulls offseason is done. What do you think your prediction for Bulls wins are this year? Well, I kind of feel like what it would be last year, to be honest with you, because there hasn't been much change to the roster itself. And, and well, when we've already talked about that, but I, I just feel that there is severe limitations to this team without a true, uh, a true point guard or a true playmaker, whether it's point guard or, or otherwise, doesn't really matter the position. But um, I, I just don't look at this 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 roster and I don't see a lot of guys that necessarily can create offense for others. Uh, you know, Zach and Kobe can most certainly create baskets for themselves, but can they create offense for others? Particularly when you've got guys like Lowry, Wendell Carter, probably even Patrick Williams in his rookie season, who are going to be heavily dependent on their playmakers to 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 assist them on their baskets. Um, because I have that underlying concern, to me there is just a, a massive ceiling what this team can and will be. So, I guess last season I was hopeful or, or predicting somewhere in the in the vicinity of a 33 to 4, 35 wins across an 82 game season. I'm kind of going to stick to that as well and obviously pro rider maybe that comes back to 29 30 wins something like that across a 72 game season but um, i'm still kind of feeling what i felt last season maybe that was uh too irrational last season to expect that much from them last season given how everything played out but i think there will be internal improvement um and and assuming the roster stays as is which again maybe 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 that just plays into the win total as to what happens for this team but assuming that the roster that they have now sort of finishes out the season, then I'm expecting, you know, a 30-win season, which in a normal 82 season would be, you know, 34, 35 wins, something like that. Like I said, probably not enough for not enough for the playoffs. But I, I guess the interesting thing this year is that there's going to be a play-in tournament, and if the Bulls qualify for that, then maybe they still realistically can make the playoffs as a ninth or tenth seed or whatever it might be. Um, so again, that's an added dynamic that maybe changes things. Um, but again, it's just keeping things consistent, just not assuming any play-in tournaments or playoffs or whatever, however the machinations may unfold. I'm expecting them to be just outside of the, the top eight teams in the East, uh, a 33-35 win team on a normal regular season. Yeah, it, it's interesting when you say that, because I have a hard time, one, arguing against you in any way. It all seems rational, very <laughs> rational, which doesn't surprise me. You're, you're actually one of, you're very, very rational, down-to-earth, a uh, guy with all of your opinions, I, I think, usually is, as much as I am, which maybe makes us not so interesting to talk to each other uh, <laughs> because we don't have hot takes. That's the that's why we yeah, need yeah, that yeah. between us. But uh, th- a couple of things I think are interesting about this. So one, if you're predicting the same as last season, you're implicitly kind of predicting that Billy Donovan will not add any wins over Jim Boylan, you know, because that's one one area where you've kind of upgraded significantly. And then, two, we had a lot of injuries last year. We don't actually know what will happen this year. We could just have a ton of injuries again this year, same guys, whatever. Uh, But if we have health, then I think we have some room to improve there. We have some room on coaching. I don't think that's irrational, though, because even though I do think Billy Donovan is much better than Jim Boylan, and I think probably all of us would would feel that way listening, the fact that he's not really going to have time to implement his system, his, his, his scheme or anything he wants to do a whole lot differently. You know, what you're really going to see is just a different guy managing the rotations, probably not calling moronic timeouts at the end of the game. Maybe he has the, the players believing a little bit more or playing a little harder for him because he's not an idiot. But 
it's it's not like he's going to be able to come in and, and implement like a wholesale change on offense and say we're going to do stuff totally different. And if he does, you're probably going to see actually a little bit of regression initially because you know be a, a lack of continuity there. And yeah, that that would be fine. I wouldn't I wouldn't actually mind that. But you know then you 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 have not had a lot of time to to practice it. And I think maybe that's something that's going to weigh across all the teams this year when you think about it is all these teams that changed a lot of players you know, like they don't have the normal amount of time they would have to get to know each other's games and learn and, and play together. And I, I think that is uh, a very interesting, like dynamic to the season. And, and you're completely right. I, I think the bulls actually should make this play in tournament. You know, and I start looking at the teams, I feel like, and I can't remember the exact rules if you have to be within so many games of the eighth seed to get invited, but I feel like the bulls should finish 10th. If I had to predict, I think they would finish ninth or 10th in the East this year and probably yeah. about the same number of wins that you mentioned. Yeah. Look, and just to, just to, just to be clear, I mean, my prediction last season uh, was wrong. I mean, I was probably <laughs> uh, uh, maybe overzealous in, 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 uh, in retrospect. I mean, I was expecting 33 to 35 wins and maybe that was just completely, completely wrong and stupid because you had Jim Boyle and you had all those injuries and I didn't maybe factor in those, those dynamics into it and and obviously they won 22 games the season shut down they're probably on pace to win you know 27 28 games somewhere in that range uh, depending on you know how hard they went into, into a mini tank or not uh, obviously we'll never know because the season stopped but uh, clearly they didn't look like a team at any point that was really capable of, of winning 35 games or even maybe exceeding that so uh, whilst my prediction is the same as it was, it was say, 12, 18 months ago, uh, I was very wrong last season. But, um, yeah, look, it, it's going to be it, – it will be interesting. And I guess the the ultimate – like we've discussed initially on this podcast at least, the, the sweeping changes that may happen during the season. I mean, that is ultimately probably the most – the biggest thing that's going to impact what this team's win total will be. I mean, if, if they trade Zach Levine, if they trade Larry Markin, or they trade these veterans – um, as we sort of uh, posited before, then obviously that would dramatically change the win total. So that, that'll be interesting to see. At, at this point, I kind of agree with you. Like, I'll be very, very surprised if for whatever reason that that they're below the 10th seed or the 10th spot, I suppose, let's call it the 10th seed. Um, if, if they're, for whatever reason, well below the, the Hornets and the Wizards or even the Orlando Magic and are below those team and, and teams and are closer to the Knicks, uh, the Cavs, um, there's one other team in the, the Pistons. Um, if they're if they're closer to those teams, uh, I'm assuming or at least hoping they are closer to those teams because they've decided to go for a tank and not necessarily this roster just being uh, really bad, everything going awful and nothing really working. If it's if that roster or this current roster as is sort of not out not outperforming my uh, prediction and maybe sort of just uh, wallowing down below with the Knicks and Pistons, etc. then that would be super concerning to me. So I'm hoping if they are that bad that they've just uh, hit the uh, the eject button on a certain few players and have gone in full of full tank. But yeah, like you, if, if I would expect them to be no less than 10th, and if they are, then uh, we've got a lot of problems, basically. Yeah, I think that's fair. And exactly for the reasons you said. It, it's fine if they end up winning 25 games because they traded Lowry and Zach at the deadline for future considerations and got some good deal. You know, I don't. I don't think we'd be upset with that. If they if they win 25 games with the same roster, then then I think we'll be a lot more disappointed. So you know, obviously how we get there makes a big difference in, in what the win total is. You know, same if they won 41 games by making some, you know, crazy trade for a very short-term player. You know, you'd feel a little bit different about that than if they won 41 games 
based on just who they have. You know, and uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I th- that's all I got for you, Mark. Why don't you just tell the people where they can find you? Yeah, for sure. Look, uh, firstly, this was fun. Glad we uh, got got the chance to uh, to catch up, Doug. And like I said, it was always going to be a, a different dynamic with our uh, with our mate without our mate Fred, but um, <laughs> no less. Uh, I think it was a rational conversation. Definitely no takes. Definitely nothing to um to laugh about or to poke fun at, but which is different. Um, but again, like, thank you for having me on. Uh, people can follow me online on Twitter. I'm for whatever reason just always on there talking way too much bulls. I should really take some time away, but I, I can't seem to escape this Bulls team, which I'm assuming most fans who are listening to this show uh, feel similarly. So if they want to jump on Twitter, they can follow me there for all my Bulls takes at MK Hoops. And um, once you're do- done listening to the Bulls beat, if you want to tune into another Bulls pod, pod, uh, another Bulls podcast rather than um, come by and uh, listen into Bulls HQ. Um, that's my podcast. We're generally recording every week. So, um, yeah, as the season progresses, we'll have more content up there too. All right. Well, Thank you so much for coming, Mark. We'll have you on again soon. And that'll do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat.